All right. Thanks, Mark, and the rest of the band for leading us. You guys can open your Bibles to the passage that Mark read for us earlier, which is Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We are learning to put our faith into action. What we saw early on in this study is that faith works. Faith works. But as soon as we come to that conclusion, as soon as we realize that faith works, that we need to be see supporting works accompanying our faith, it demands that we ask a question. And that question is one that we've been asking for the last several weeks. That question is, what do I do if my faith is not accompanied by works? What do I do? So I know that faith is supposed to work, but there's many times when I look at my life and my faith isn't working out. So what do I do? Well, to answer that question, we begin to look at three causes, three causes to examine when your faith doesn't work. And this is all review from things we've covered in prior weeks. If you've been here taking notes, you should already have this. Three causes that we've been looking at. The first cause is maybe your soul is lost. If, if your faith is not working, the first thing to check is to ask the question, am I really saved? Is my soul lost? It's possible that the answer to that is yes, that you just don't have saving faith, that you need to repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ. But just because your faith doesn't work, just because there may be a time where, where you see a, a, a mistake in your faith, doesn't necessarily mean that you are instantly condemned to hell. There's, there's other problems that may be causing your faith not to work. We began to look at those other problems last week. The, the, the second cause to look at is maybe your theology is incomplete. Maybe you're saved, but your, your theology is just incomplete. Maybe you have a misunderstanding of, of what sanctification is and how sanctification works. Well, there's a third one that we haven't looked at yet, and we're not going to tonight. We'll probably start in on that next week. But to illustrate these truths, we, we've, been, uh, we've been walking through um, a project that, that we did in our house in our bathroom where, where a light switch wasn't working. We, we couldn't get a light to, to, to start working, and so I had to start troubleshooting in my bathroom. And we were looking at what these three different things are. Like if there's a problem, my light's not turning on, uh, I, there's a couple places I can look to try to get to the root of the problem. The first place I could look is I could look at the switch. I, I, maybe there's a problem with the switch. And, and we illustrated that as that first point. Maybe, maybe if your faith isn't working, maybe, maybe like your switch is just off. Maybe it's, it's broken. Maybe you don't even have access to the power that sanctifies us. Maybe you're not even saved. But maybe, maybe, as was in the case in the project I was working on, the switch is just fine. The switch isn't the problem. I had access to the power, but the power was getting crossed up somewhere. Well, that's when I turned my attention from the light switch to a place called the junction box. And this guy right here is the junction box. And that's where all sorts of wires meet in, in the positives and the negatives. And you've got to make sure all the wires are, are, are connected right. That was where we began to draw our attention next week. So maybe, maybe your, your switch isn't working. Maybe your soul is lost. We looked at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourself. See if you are in the faith. But then we also looked at that, 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 that second, that junction box, which what we called last week was, was maybe, maybe we've just gotten our wires crossed on sanctification. And so last week we started to, to re-align uh, the wires of sanctification. 
to realign our theology, to correct our thinking about sanctification. And may I ask the question, why does theology matter? I thought we were talking about how to make my faith work better. Why do we have to talk about theology to do that? Well, we broke that down last week because if you misunderstand how how sanctification works, you will misapply the tools that you have for sanctification. If you don't get how it works, you will misapply it. And if you misapply the tools for sanctification, you may struggle to be sanctified, which just makes sense. If I got my wires crossed and I don't even know how to unplug them and get them back in the right position, of course, my light is never going to turn on. So last week, we spent our time uncrossing the wires of sanctification. And what we found, we asked this question, how, how are we sanctified? How am I sanctified? And this was the answer. We're, we're sanctified by the Spirit of God through the grace of God as we obey God. And all three of those are essential elements in our sanctification. I don't sanctify myself. The Spirit of God sanctifies me. I, I, I can't work my way into It's all by God's grace that I'm sanctified. His grace is an essential element in my sanctification. Apart from His grace, none of us can be sanctified. But he sanctifies us as we obey him. He calls us to be obedient and that we will be sanctified. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so we understood that our job, our role, is to obey. Obey. And, and to make sure that that obedience is never apart from God's grace. That it's, that it's grace motivated. That's what we called it last week. To make sure our role is grace motivated obedience. What we saw as we broke that down is that people have often missed that target. And we saw specifically two errant responses to grace motivated obedience. Those are legalism and antinomianism. Two ways to miss grace-motivated obedience. There's legalism, which says try harder, which says do more. Don't, don't, like, you got to work your way into God's grace. You have to work your way in. That's legalism. Antinomianism says you just sit back and relax. Let the Holy Spirit change you. You don't do anything. Both of those are missing the target. Legalism ignores grace. Antinomianism abuses grace. Grace-motivated obedience embraces grace and calls us to obey because of it. We saw Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 as threading the needle between these two. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 say, Just as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in that verse, Paul just threads the needle of of grace-motivated obedience. He's not being legalistic. He's not being antinomian. He threads the needle and he says, hey, work out your salvation. Work, strive, labor. And, And all the legalists would say, yeah, work hard, strive, do more. But then he qualifies it. For it is God who is at work in you. That's a line that maybe the antinomians would embrace. Ah, it doesn't matter what you do. God's working in you. You just sit back. It doesn't matter how you live. God will take care of it. But Paul says, work. Work out your salvation. For God is at work in you. He merges the two. And in doing so, 
correctly aligns the wires of sanctification. It's so easy for us to fall off onto one of those sides. I find myself being legalistic. I find myself ignoring the law, being anti-law, antinomian. Well, all of that that we've just talked about is exactly what Paul is battling in the text that you have opened now in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, what Paul is battling is both legalism and antinomianism. He's fighting this very battle. Look at, look at chapter 5 verse 4. Paul says, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. In that statement, Paul says, you're trying to work your way into God's grace. You're using the law as the way to be saved, and that's legalism. That's legalism. Working your way into God's grace. Paul says, you've been severed from grace because of it. But lest any of them respond to that call by saying, okay, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and relax. Look at verse 13. You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So Paul says, stop, stop working your way into grace. That's legalism. But then he says, the response to that is not just to say, okay, whatever, don't need to do anything because I'm free. He says, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity to, 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 to sin. Don't be legalistic. Don't be antinomian. So then what does he call them to do? That is our text tonight. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. What we're looking at tonight is what Paul refers to as walking by the Spirit. It's the terminology that Paul uses to thread the needle between antinomianism and legalism. It's the terminology that Paul uses to make sure our wires of sanctification are correctly aligned. Walk by the Spirit. So tonight, that's what we're seeking to do. We are learning how to walk by the Spirit. We're learning how to walk by the Spirit. That statement by Paul is a little bit of an oxymoron. Walk by the Spirit, he says. Walking is how you live. Walking is how you conduct your life. Walking is the decisions that you make. If you picture your life as like a race or like a, like a track, a, like a walking race, it's, it's your walk. It's the whole thing. This is your walk. It's how you live your life. It's what you do. It's the decisions that you make. Walking is what legalists emphasize. Walk better. But Paul doesn't say walk better. It's not directly. He says walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who lives in believers. The Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. The Spirit is the one who brings conviction over sin. Legalism says, walk. Harder, faster, better, stronger. Legalism says, sit back. Antinomianism, excuse me, says, sit back and let the Spirit do the work. Paul merges the two. Walk. 
by the Spirit. Walking is physical. The Spirit is spiritual. Walking is material. The Spirit is immaterial. He's threading the needle. Spirit-enabled, grace-motivated obedience is what, call, is what Paul calls the Galatians to do. So our question tonight is, how do I do that? How do I walk by the Spirit? Okay, walk by the Spirit. Good, got it. That's threading the needle. How do I walk by the Spirit? How does the Spirit work in my walk? How do I make sure that I'm walking by Him? What, what would that even look like? Tonight, we're going to find the answer to that question by looking at four directives. Four directives for walking by the Spirit. Four directives for walking by the Spirit. We took a family vacation once, um, and we went whitewater rafting. Have any of you guys ever been whitewater rafting? Jackson's been whitewater rafting, too. No, not really. Okay. Whitewater rafting is really fun. You need to do it sometime in your life. It's a blast. It's, it's thrilling. It's out in nature, so it, it feels like you could die, which is kind of a fun, thrilling thing. Uh, so whitewater rafting, when, whenever you're, you're doing whitewater rafting and you're doing high-level rapids, you, you have a guide with you. The, the guide is someone who sits in the back of the raft, and he knows the river like the back of his hand. He knows where the raft needs to go. He knows, who, he knows who needs to row when. He tells you when to row. He tells you when to stop. He tells you when to sit inside the boat so that you don't pop out. He tells you how to survive. He tells you how to have a fun time and not die. Okay, the guide is a really important key in whitewater rafting. I would never attempt to go through like level five rapids without a guide. I need a guide. We, uh, when we went with my family, we were in a big raft and there were eight people in our boat and, and there's a guide that's sitting in the back. He sits in the back because he, he's steering the raft. We're, we're sitting up there and we're rowing with our paddles. We have paddles. We're all rowing. We don't really know what we're doing, but when he says row, we row. And he's back there steering the ship so that as we row, he's guiding us where we need to go. The more I study this, the more I realize that the Holy Spirit works a lot like the guide in a whitewater raft. The fact that the Spirit is in the boat doesn't mean that, that we don't row. It doesn't mean, ah, there's a guide back there. I'm just going to sit back and relax and let the guide take me through the river. No, the, the guide calls us to row. The guide tells us when one side needs to dig their paddle in the water and when the other side needs to row faster. He, he tells us when, when we all need to hit the brakes. He tells us when, when we need to pedal harder. The, the guide is essential because he tells us how to conduct our lives. He tells us what we need to do. He shows us when we need to do it. He explains to us when we're doing it wrong. Remember, uh, we were going down one really big rapid and, and the guide was saying, if you don't do what I tell you to do, we're going to flip over. And uh, it's okay if we flip over. Don't panic. You're not going to die. People flip over a lot. In my mind, I think, okay, I get a chance to like, go through a white water rapid body style and apparently I'm not going to get hurt. So we start coming up to this, this river and he starts saying, go, 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 start rowing. I didn't start rowing. <laughs> Not because I was afraid, but because I kind of wanted to fall out. 
And that's exactly what happened. We went down the rapid and in the boat because one side wasn't rowing as hard as the other. The boat started to do this and we got pulled under the water and, and our boat flipped and we were all in the water and we, we started flowing down the stream because I ignored the advice of the guide. Now, had that been more dangerous, we probably would have died because the guide knew what he was doing. He knew how to direct us. My call was to trust him to do what he said and to leave the rest up to him. And if we survived, by the time we got to the end of the river with all confidence, we could say that he led us there. It's a lot like how the Holy Spirit works. And we're going to see that played out in these four directives. First, the first directive for walking by the Spirit is that we need to rely on the Spirit. We need to rely on the Spirit. Much like someone in a boat needs to rely, they need to trust the advice of the guide in the back of the boat. It would be foolish when the, when the guy says, row, I've done this a thousand times, row, if I said, you know, that doesn't seem like the best idea to me. He knows what he's doing. And so I'm called to trust him, to take him at his word, to rely on the Spirit. In verse 16, we're told to walk by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This is the exact same kind of terminology that we saw in Philippians. Work out your salvation for God is at work in you. Right? That, that tension right there of us working and God working in us. Go look at Colossians where we see terms like strive, work hard in accordance with His strength. You strive with the strength that he has given you. It's his strength, but you strive. This is the exact same kind of expression. Walk by the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we rely on the Spirit? How, how do we walk by him? How do we trust him. How do we place ourselves in a daily scenario where we're constantly aware that we need him? Well, the, the, the first way I'd give you is to pray. To ask him for help, for strength. Ask him for the endurance to resist temptation. Ask him to give you the strength you need to live a life that's glorifying to God. Ask him. And he'll, he'll give you what you ask for. Scripture gives us that promise. If it's in accordance with God, and I assure you, it is God's will for us that we walk by the Spirit. Ask him. That is one way to rely on the Spirit. Another way would be to remember, to remind yourself constantly of your weakness. Keep preaching that to yourself. I'm weak. In my flesh, I have no ability to walk by the Spirit. In my flesh, I have no ability to live a life that's glorifying to God. I need the Spirit. So remind yourself of that. And then as you're always just reminding yourself, I need the strength of God. I need His strength working in me. I need that so desperately. As you're reminding yourself of that, then, then ask him for strength. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for direction. Ask him for endurance. Ask him for help. 
God, I am not strong enough on my own. Give me the strength I need to battle my flesh today. Make that a daily, make that an hourly prayer. Rely on the Spirit. We express our reliance on the Spirit by going to Him and by asking Him and by expressing our need to Him and to ourselves. It's important to remember that relying on the Spirit never leads to passivism. Relying on the Spirit, saying, I trust you, I need you, never leads to us sitting back. Never leads to us saying, since I rely on you, I'm just going to chill. You sanctify me. Now, we need him, but relying on the Spirit motivates and enables our efforts. It motivates us as we ask him for strength to run, to strive, to work. But we're doing so fully aware that we can only do so if he, by his grace, grants us the ability to do so well. That's relying on the Spirit. It doesn't lead to passivism. It doesn't lead to sitting back. It leads to running harder because it motivates us and it enables us. So rely on the Spirit. A second directive for how we walk by the Spirit, a second directive for walking on the Spirit, walking by the Spirit is obey the desires from the Spirit. Obey the desires from the Spirit. So Paul says in verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Then he tells us in verse 16 what will happen if we, do, if we walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, he says, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and it will change how you live. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Look at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. What Paul talks about in verse 17 is that there is a battle. There's a war that is waging inside of you. There's a war that is actively waging right now inside of you. There's a battle happening. I want to be clear about what that battle is not. That battle is not the Spirit of God and your flesh battling over who gets to control you. It's not, like, it's not a battle for you. It's not like you're sitting here and inside, just, they're fighting it out to see who wins and who gets you. That's not the battle. No, no, the, the battle that is happening inside you, the war that is waging inside you, is that your flesh is producing desires in you, fleshly desires. The Spirit, if you're a believer, is also producing desires in you. And you have these fleshly desires, and you have these Spirit-caused desires, and those desires within you are waging. They're, they're against each other. The Spirit's mind is set against the flesh. The, the flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. We're told in verse 17, these two things, they're in opposition to one another, so that you may not do what you please. 
so that you may not do what you wish. In other words, whatever you want, whatever you want, there's, there's something in you that's giving a desire, pulling in the other way. There's always a battle. Whether you want righteousness or sin, if you're in the position where you're saying, I, I, I see something desirable, it's sinful, but I want it. In you, there's a tension because also the spirit is producing a desire that's, that's saying, I want to live a life that's glorifying to God. I want to resist temptation. There's a tension. Perhaps you, you desire, you want to be in the word. But there's also your flesh and it's pulling you in the other direction. There's a battle of desires within you. What then are we called to do? We're called to obey the desires from the Spirit. The war is happening within you, and that, that's a good thing. Because while there may be fleshly desires, there's spirit desires as well. And when there are spirit desires, we have the opportunity to obey. What we're called to do is to obey the desires that are from the Spirit. I want us to be aware of this. This is important, and it's easily confused, so I'm going to put this up on the screen. Every believer has a battle of desires raging within them. Every believer has a battle within them. You never never get rid of the battle until you get to heaven. Every believer has a battle of desires raging within them. The reason that I say that is because I often hear like, how how can I be saved when I have these sinful desires in me? How can I be saved when when I want to pursue this lust, when, when I continually find myself pursuing this lie, when I continually find myself going after this whatever, fill in the blank, this sin, That desire, I can't shake it. How can I be a believer? The question is not whether the desires are there. The question is whether you're enslaved to obedience, to fleshly desires. Every believer has the battle. Every believer has the tension of the desires. The battle in and of itself does not condemn you. The fact that there's a battle within you doesn't mean you're not saved. That's really important. The battle is an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for your faith to work. See, so often we feel this tension, we feel temptation drawing us in one, in one direction, and we meet it with despair. How can I, a believer, have those desires? Paul acknowledges that the battle is happening in every believer, but that those who are truly saved have within them the strength to resist the fleshly desire. They have the ability to obey the Spirit. And so that's what we're called to do to rely on him, to go to him, to ask him, to express our need for him, and then to obey the desires that are from him. So there's a question we have to ask. How do I know which desires are from the Spirit? How do I know? I'm glad you asked, because that's our next point. Our third directive for walking by the Spirit is be informed by the Spirit. Be informed by the Spirit. You know how we know which desires to obey? Because the Spirit informs us about what the right thing is to do. 
The Spirit tells us which desires are from Him. We've gone through 16 and 17. Look at verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He uses the word led by the Spirit there. It's it's an interesting word. It's different than what he said earlier, walk by the Spirit. He says we are led by the Spirit. The Spirit leads us. The Spirit is, is, is guiding us. He's directing us. He's informing us. How does the Spirit do that? Does the Spirit lead us through our feelings? Does he lead us through our emotions? Does he lead us through miraculous signs? How does the Spirit tell us which desires we should listen to? How does the Spirit tell us what we are to do? It's interesting. We saw last week, Romans chapter 15, verse 16 says that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He is the agent of our sanctification. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you. But in John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. And you know what he asks the Father to do? Sanctify them, he says, by your truth. And he qualifies that, your word is truth. Romans tells us that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Jesus, in John chapter 17, tells us that the word of God sanctifies us. How how do we rationalize those two? Here it is. It's the Spirit of God through the Word of God that produces lasting change. It is the Spirit of God through the Word of God that produces in us a change that lasts. You know how the Holy Spirit directs us? He uses your Bible. We're sanctified by the Word. And we're sanctified by the Spirit. Because those two are working together. The Spirit uses the Word. It's the Spirit of God through the Word of God that changes us. And so, how do I know which desires to listen to? The Spirit reveals that to us through the Word. The Spirit informs us through our Bibles. That brings us to a final directive. A final directive for walking by the Spirit. Number four. The fourth directive for walking by the Spirit is remember that you have been changed by the Spirit. Remember that you have been changed by the Spirit. I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 25 to wrap this up. Down in verse 25, Paul uses a logical argument. He says in verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we live by him, let us walk by him. If, if we find life in him, then obviously we should conduct our lives in accordance with the desires that he's given us. Paul's making a logical argument there. He's talked all the way through the book of Galatians about how salvation has come through faith, that, that the spirit is, is in believers, that, that they don't come to faith by keeping the law, that the spirit is in them. They have life in God because the Spirit is in them. Well, he says, hey, uh, I have a really obvious statement to make. If we live by the Spirit, doesn't it make sense that we would walk by the Spirit? If he gives us life, wouldn't it make sense that it's in him that we learn how to walk? If we live, walk. If we live by him, walk by him. If we live in him, walk in him. This is a logical argument for Paul. So logical that back in chapter 3, Paul looks at the Galatians and he says, You fools! 
you, you morons. How could you think that if the Spirit gives you life, that you go back to the law to, 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 to sanctify yourself, to work your way into grace? If we live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Paul makes the exact same argument in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Paul says, should we continue in sin so that grace can abound, that it can increase? No. And then he, he asks him a question. Don't you know? Don't you know that you were bought by the blood of Christ? Don't you know that you've been changed? He goes to their minds. He goes to their thinking because it's illogical. It makes no sense that if we find a life in the spirit of God, that we would go elsewhere to be sanctified. If we live by the spirit, walk by the spirit. So remember, remember. How do I walk by the Spirit? I remember that I've been changed by the Spirit. I I have to remind myself about that. I'm relying on Him. I'm obeying the desires that He produces in me. I'm I'm informed by Him. And I'm just always saying, I, I need Him. I have to remember, He's changed me. And because He's changed me, I can walk by Him. By his grace, by his power, we can walk by the Spirit. Continually remind yourself that by God's grace, you have been set free from sin. That is a motivating truth. That if you're a believer, by God's grace, you have been set free from sin. You've been changed. If we live by him, walk by him. That's how we do it. That's how we walk by the Spirit. Rely on Him. Obey Him. Be informed by Him. And remember that you've been changed by Him. That's what it looks like to walk, work, run in accordance with the Spirit of God. To do that is to have your wires of sanctification correctly aligned. That's what scripture explains is proper thinking and proper action in regards to our sanctification. 